Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, uh, there are many well-known figures uh, throughout church history. I'm sure most of us have heard of men such as Athanasius, Augustine, uh, Martin Luther, John Calvin, and Charles Spurgeon. This afternoon, I want to draw your attention to a lesser-known figure, a Presbyterian minister from the 19th century named Robert Murray McShane. I don't know too much about this servant of God. There is one powerful quote he made that I really appreciate. McShane once gave these wise words, For every one look you, you make at yourself, take ten looks at Christ. For every one look at yourself, take ten looks at Christ. And how true that is. It's tempting for us to focus inward. But you know what? That can be spiritually toxic. There's no salvation inside of us. It's outside of us in Jesus Christ. And through His Word, God calls us to look outward to Christ always. And in that respect, McShane had more to say. Here's a full quote. Learn much of the Lord Jesus. For every look at yourself, take ten looks at Christ. He is altogether lovely, such infinite majesty, and yet such meekness and grace, and all for sinners, even the chief of sinners. Live much in the smiles of God, bask in His beams, feel His all-seeing eyes settled on you in love and repose in His almighty arms. That's also similar to what we have in Lord's Day 1, our confession of faith. It's confession about Jesus Christ, our great, our loving Savior. It's not just about who He is, but who He is for me, for you. What He has done for me, what He still does for me, and what He will do for me in the future. This whole confession we have here, it's meant to to keep our eyes fixed on our Lord Jesus Christ and see the wonderful Savior we have in Him. What is my only comfort in life and in death that I am not my own, but belong with body and in soul, both in life and in death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ? So I summarized the sermon this afternoon as follows. Our only comfort is in our faithful Savior who loved us and gave Himself for us. We'll see that Christ loved us and gave himself for us so that we might, first of all, belong to him, a second, be preserved by him, and finally, that we might live for him. So, Lord's Day 1 begins again. What is your only comfort in life and in death? And we have the answer that I'm not my own, but belong to Jesus Christ. And let's stop right there for a moment. Now think about how counterintuitive this is. My only comfort in life and in death is that I am not my own, right? But I belong to someone else. It seems almost like a contradiction, right? Usually we feel most secure when we are in control. Now naturally, we don't want to belong to anyone else, we want to be our own boss. 
And when we feel we are not in control, that's so often when we face anxiety and not comfort. But here, it's different. And it's because of whom we belong to. My only comfort in life and in death is that I am not my own. But my comfort is that I belong to someone else. That person is my Lord Jesus Christ, my faithful Savior. Why is this the case? Why is my only comfort not in myself, but in Christ? Well, we could, we could give many reasons for that. But think only for a moment of, of God's judgment on sin, right? We all sin. All of us have sinned. We all break God's law every day. We all have a debt of sin with God. And God's judgment, His just judgment on sin, is eternal. Eternal punishment in hell. And if we only belong to ourselves and not to Christ, we would face that judgment. We would. And that's where the comfort of belonging to Christ shines so brightly. We belong to Christ. And so we've been rescued from that eternal punishment on sin. And how comforting it is to know that in that light, I belong to Jesus Christ. You belong to Jesus Christ. Think also of this broken world in which we live. Again, we feel secure often when we feel that we are in control. But in this world, so often, we're just not. No, as much as we would like to be, we are not in control. It happens so often. Economic forces are so volatile. Natural disasters strike suddenly around the world. Sickness or injuries can change your life in a moment. And then there's the devil causing destruction everywhere. But the beauty of our confession is this. Our only comfort, it stands outside of this broken, uncertain world. It stands above it. It's an anchor that is secured outside of all the uncertainty, outside of all the destruction, outside all the tears and pain and sorrow of this life. That's because it's in Jesus Christ who now stands outside of this world. Right? He stepped into this broken life, and He bore the brunt of the brokenness that we all face every day, and even more so. But after dying on the cross, Christ rose again from the dead. And by that resurrection, Christ has overcome the world. He's now seated in heaven. He is making all things new. And though we are not in control, and even though we face the brokenness of this life still, and though life can feel completely out of control at times, Christ our Lord is seated on the throne and He 
is most definitely in control. He's King of kings, He's Lord of lords, and He's our Lord. The one to whom we belong runs this world despite all the chaos we might see around us. We belong to the King of kings who keeps us in His care. Why can we make that confession? Why do we belong to Jesus Christ? How did this come about anyways? And for any guests among us here in the building this afternoon or maybe watching on the live stream, maybe you wonder as you hear this message for the very first time, you know, how can, how can I belong to Jesus Christ? Well, it's nice if you can make that confession. How can I make that confession? And the answer is simple. By believing in Jesus Christ as the only Savior of the world. That's it. Believe in Jesus Christ. He's the Savior, the King, the Shepherd of His people. You see, when a person puts his or her faith in Jesus Christ, everything changes. You can hear something of that from what we read from Galatians 2. There we read, We also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ. We are justified by faith in Christ, and that makes all the difference. What is this justification? What does it mean to be justified? Well, it means, first of all, what we confess in Lord's Day 1. Christ has fully paid for all of my sins with His precious blood. While Christ hung on the cross and His perfect blood poured from His body, all our record of debt, our transgressions, our sins, they were wiped away by that blood of Jesus Christ. The perfect sacrifice of the Lamb of God perfectly paid for our sins. And to be justified means to be counted righteous before God. A perfectly righteous Savior means that God can... can Uh, see us more than just sinners. You can see us as righteous in Christ. Notice how Galatians 2 emphasizes it. It turns our eyes out from ourselves, turning to Jesus Christ. It emphasizes it's not by our own works, right? It's not because of ourselves. Verse 16 especially stresses this. We know that a person is not justified by works of the law. And then again, we believe in Christ Jesus in order order to be justified by faith and not by works of the law. And again, by works of the law, no one will be justified. And this is why our only comfort in life and in death is not in ourselves, it's not in anyone else in this world but it's in Jesus Christ alone, alone. By works of the law, no one will be justified. And so our only hope is in Christ Jesus, the only one who kept God's law perfectly. And notice how Galatians 2 goes even further. Why can we make this confession? 
We receive these benefits by the infinite love of God, the infinite love of Christ. Listen only to verse 20, the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. You know what, what, what beautiful words. And these words are why we can confess what we do in Lord's Day 1. The Son of God loved me and gave Himself for me. And He loved us while we were still sinners. And He loved us so much He completely emptied Himself, gave Himself completely for us. No holding back, no half-hearted love. Giving Himself even to death on the cross. And because Christ gave Himself completely for us, we now belong completely to Him. Because He gave Himself completely for us, we belong in body and in soul to our faithful Savior. We belong to Him so much that we can say along with Paul in Galatians 2, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in, in me. The closeness of the fellowship we have with our faithful Savior, Christ lives in us who believe. Brings us to our second point. So, beloved, the things we explored in point one, great news. Christ gave Himself for us. We belong to Him. Holy paid for our sins with His precious blood. However, despite all that, questions and fears can still arise in our in our hearts and in our minds. You know, sometimes people might wonder, well, what if we were to somehow lose all of this? This is great to know, but what if we were to lose it? What good is it if I have these things only to lose them in the future? Or what good is it to be loved only to be later rejected? Then the good things we just talked about would be all for nothing, and sometimes we might fear that. But here it's good to then turn to the next part of Lord's Day 1, our confession. Christ has not only paid for all my sins with His precious blood, He's not only set me free from all the power of the devil, but He also does this. He also preserves me in such a way that without the, the will of my Heavenly Father, not a hair can fall from my head, Indeed, all things must work together for my salvation. Well, this teaching here, something we often call the perseverance of the saints. It's a teaching that true believers will never completely fall away and be lost forever, but will ultimately be saved. Well, currently in my senior catechism class, we're going through the Canons of Dort, One thing we noted recently is that the perseverance of the saints may in fact be better described as the preservation of the saints. Preservation. That's because we persevere because of the preservation of our God who preserves His people. And indeed, Christ preserves the people He died for He himself says in John 10, I give my sheep eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. 
And this work of preservation is not only the work of Christ, it's also the work of God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. As Lord Day 1 puts it, without the will of my Heavenly Father, not a hair can fall from my head. And the Holy Spirit, He assures me of, of eternal life. That we have eternal life now in Christ and that eternal life is coming. We get a flavor of this in our reading from Isaiah 54. You know, this, this chapter describes God's beautiful compassion towards His people. You know, it was written, first of all, for Old Testament Israel. It probably speaks, first of all, to Israel's restoration after the exile. Right? God had hid His face from His people for a moment, but then He brought them back in His compassion. And Israel could spread out again in the promised land. And God was promising beautiful fellowship with them once more. They could look forward to security in the land. And yet there's a greater fulfillment to these promises of God in Isaiah 54. You see, the things God promises here are built upon what God had said already in Isaiah 53. And of course, that's the well-known chapter that prophesies about the work of Christ with these well-known words, He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon Him. And that saving work of Jesus Christ, it means that God's beautiful promises described in Isaiah 54 are true for us who believe as well. Listen to these things. For God says, Fear not, for you will not be ashamed. Be not confounded, for you will not be disgraced. Your Maker is your husband, the Lord of hosts is His name. The Holy One of Israel is your Redeemer. The God of the whole earth He is called. For the Lord has called you like a wife deserted and grieved in spirit, like a wife of youth when she is cast off, says your God. For a brief moment I deserted you, but with great compassion I will gather you. In overflowing anger, for a moment, I hid my face from you. But with everlasting love, I will have compassion on you, says the Lord, your Redeemer. This is the steadfast love of the Lord in Jesus Christ. And these words are true for us in Christ. And this is especially so since, in a way, they, they almost do apply to Jesus Christ as well. Think about this. Right? God the Father, in a way, deserted Christ for a time on the cross for our sins. But after His suffering was over, the Father received Him into heaven forever. And while He was on the cross, God the Father hid His face from Christ because of our sins. With everlasting love, he restored him again. And because Christ did that for us, we too can receive that same love of God in Christ Jesus. And that's why we hear more beautiful words in Isaiah 54. Hear God speaking again to his people. To me, this is like the days of Noah. 
As I swore that the waters of Noah would no more go over the earth, so I have sworn that I will not be angry with you, I will not rebuke you. For the mountains may depart and the hills be removed, but my steadfast love shall not depart from you, and my covenant of peace shall not be removed, says the Lord who has compassion on you. And here we hear a, here we have a, a comparison to the time of Noah's flood. Remember, after the flood, God swore an oath. He promised, He swore by Himself that the world would never be destroyed by a flood again. And He even gave the sign of the rainbow to assure us of His oath. And that is similar to the power of Christ's sacrifice. You know, the New Testament at, at times it calls Christ's sacrifice a sacrifice of propitiation. Now, what does that mean? I know it's a big word, but it means a sacrifice that turns aside wrath, the wrath of God. And that's what the cross is all about. And so, just as God promised to never flood the world again, through Christ's sacrifice, God assures us that His just wrath will never be on us again because it came down on Christ in our place. And this is why he says in his covenant, I will remember your sins no more because he has taken care of them through Jesus Christ our Lord. And although he may discipline us severely for our sins, He disciplines us as a loving Father, that we might share in His holiness. And all this means that Christ's sacrifice has secured our final salvation. God's justice has been satisfied, His fatherly love placed upon us, and now Christ preserves us in the faith, He preserves us in this life, so that without the will of our Heavenly Father, not a hair can fall from our head. And so, no matter how much Satan might accuse you, he can't take this salvation away. And no matter how much I might stumble in sin through my weakness, my salvation still won't be lost. And no matter how much pain and suffering and sorrow I experience in this broken life, All of that can't destroy the eternal life I have in Jesus Christ. Christ has given us lasting comfort, rock-solid comfort for today and for the future. Brings us to our last point. Our confession in Lord's Day 1 does not end there. The last section says this, Therefore, By the Holy Spirit, He also assures me of eternal life and makes me heartily willing and ready from now on to live for Him. The Holy Spirit, He assures us of eternal life, assures us that our sins are forgiven in Christ, that God is our Father, and and that we have eternal life. But what if we struggle in assurance? What if we struggle to know and believe the love of God for us? Well, then we might be scared of, what does that mean for me? Well, it's important to know how the Spirit does this, how He works this assurance in us. 
we must never look for some kind of private revelation from God to, to give us confirmation that we're His children? No, that won't give us certainty, actually. Now, we must look to God's Word and to God's promises in His Word, which do not change. In that respect, I love how the Canons of Dorda, or other confession, one of our other confessions, puts it, puts it so well when it says, the assurance of faith is produced by faith in the promises of God, which He has most abundantly revealed in His Word for our comfort. Right, if we want to grow in assurance, keep looking to Christ, keep looking to God's promises in His Word, in Christ Jesus, Glue your eyes to the cross. Remember McShane's advice, which I mentioned at the beginning of this sermon. For every one look at yourself, take ten looks at Christ. Listen to God's promises and God's Word. Believe them. Take part in the sacraments by faith. Then the Canons of Dort also adds... Finally, this assurance also grows by the serious and holy pursuit of a clear conscience and of good works. Right? We grow in assurance also as our response of obedience to God grows. But remember what we have here in Lord's Day 1. This response of obedience to God also comes from Christ and not of ourselves. Christ, by the Holy Spirit, makes me heartily willing and ready to live for Him from now on. And listen to how that's described in Galatians 2 again. Paul says in verse 19, Through the law I died to the law so that I might live to God. You see, the law, it declares that we must die for our sins. It's an inescapable inescapable part of God's justice. But through our union with Christ, we already died with Christ. The judgment of the law has been met for us in Christ. And so Paul says in verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And this is one way Christ makes us heartily willing and ready from now on to live for Him. Our old, selfish, sinful self has been crucified with Christ. That old self was put to death in the death of Christ, and now it is no longer you who lives, but Christ who lives in you. That doesn't mean that your individual person has been obliterated. It means that Christ has taken up residence inside of you, at the very center of your being. And that's going to change you. Your faithful Savior is at work in your life, He's at work to change your desires to change your priorities, to change your words, change your actions, make you holy, make you good, 
make you loving. Let's look at how Christ changed the Apostle Paul. Paul confesses at one point he was once a blasphemer. He persecuted the church, dragged off Christians, put them in jail, and he relied on his own righteousness and effort. But then Christ came to him, and then everything became different. And Paul now worshiped the Lord Jesus Christ instead of blaspheming him. And instead of persecuting the church, he he gave his life to building the church of Christ. And instead of relying on his own righteousness, he now relied on the righteousness of Jesus Christ alone. And the good news is that Christ did not reserve this change only for Paul. He's at work to change us too. Might not go as quickly as we would like doesn't happen all at once, but still He is there. He is working, and He changes us all the more as we say with Paul in Galatians 2, the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. Amen. Let us now respond to the preaching of God's Word by singing together hymn 64, which is a hymn based on Lord's Day 1. <laughs>